Praise God. Let's let you get your notes there. And if you open your Bibles in Luke chapter 22 and verse 15, Luke chapter 22, verse 15. Before Christmas, we were looking at a series on Israel. It, it was really an eye-opener for me. I, I, I'd studied Israel because we did end times. I'd studied it many times, but never maybe seen some of the revelations that I saw through that study. It, it, it's quite amazing especially when you look at politics or wars and the things that are happening around the world. It's phenomenal. So I think, without a shadow of a doubt, because it's 2012, I think the things that we are able to see today are entirely different from previous generations. You can look at your Bible and look at the news. Look at your Bible, look at the news. And we see a, a, a constant, you know, expose, an explanation of what's actually taking place in the world. That's phenomenal. We did, what was it, five or six parts, I think it was. Luke chapter 22 and verse 15. And it's Jesus speaking. It's the last supper scene, something we've been, we're all so very familiar with. But I want to look at it in maybe just a slightly different way. Luke chapter 22, verse 15, and Jesus, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer, for I tell you, I will not eat of it again. Um, sorry, I think I got the wrong scripture there. Excuse me one second. Luke chapter 22, verse 19, sorry. Luke 22, verse 19. Take a look at this. Last supper scene again. And he took the bread gave thanks and broke it, and he gave it to them, saying, this is my body given for you. What, and what are the next two words? What? Do what? What's this? So before Christmas, if you remember, we set up Christmas trees. We got our Santa Claus, right? And supposedly all over the world people set up Christmas trees to remember Jesus Christ correct they set up Santa Claus because it's Christmas Jesus birthday but Jesus here says I don't want you to do that I don't want Easter eggs if you're gonna remember me I don't want Easter eggs remember these come from the blood of children child sacrifice I don't want Christmas trees because in Genesis it's an abomination to me because again it's child sacrifice he says do what do this he says do this so before Jesus leaves the earth now if you were dying and you were able to pass a few words of advice on to your children do you think those words would be important you would, you would think long and hard about the last pieces of advice and example you would give to your children. And Jesus knew the plan of the devil was to get you to do that. To get you to follow pagan customs, trees, whatever, Easter eggs, the pagan customs of Samarius and Tamus. So before he's going to the cross, he turns to us and he pleads almost. And he, you know... There's very few physical things in the Christian life, right? There's the Bible, which is a physical thing. There's baptism in water, which is a physical thing. And there's communion. That's it. 
There's nothing else, really. Okay? Nothing central, really. So he gives us the communion, and he, it's like a warning, an admonition. I'm telling you, folks, make sure that you do this. Had many presents over Christmas. Thank God. Thank many of you for your presents. But one present was very special. It was lovely. It was fantastic. It was a text message, a picture text message from Stefan and Estella off their, din their Christmas dinner table. And in the middle of the dinner table, what was there? A menorah. And as a good husband and a good father, Stefan, I told all you guys, go home and follow the instructions I gave you. Set it up in your home and teach your children the ways of God. And that just blessed me more than anything else this Christmas. You are a very privileged bunch of people because here we are in the house of God, getting guidance, getting led in a world that isn't being led anywhere except to hell, right? It's a dark world out there. And it is, it is critical, vital that we obey what we hear. Amen? That you obey what you hear. Do not be hearers only. Do not be hearers only. For these are the traditions of men. Right? We call ourselves Pentecostals. Well, I hope we are. And I hope we go out through these doors on a weekly basis with that in mind. In 1 Corinthians, I won't turn to it, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8, Paul, New Testament, Paul says that he eagerly desires to keep the feast. Talking about the Lord's Supper, Passover. And again, in, in other places, he tells us, keep the feast. Talking about the Lord's Supper talking about Passover, right? I'm just saying, we, I, I want to briefly recap on some of the stuff we did concerning Israel. Okay, and just before Christmas, was it the last week before we went away? We looked at the whole Santa thing. But prior to that, if you turn to 2 Peter, please. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 19. Look at this. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 19. This is such a good scripture about the last days. This is the scripture we began with. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 19. We also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable. And you will do well to pay attention to it. As to a light shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. So much in that scripture, you know. Peter here is talking about the return of Christ, okay, which I don't think is very far away, uh, and I'll explain why. He uses the morning star as an example. Now, uh, do you know what the morning star is? You see it? I can actually see it very well in my back garden in the morning. It's the planet Venus, actually. It's not a star. It's a planet. And if you go out on a dark, dark morning where there's a clear sky, and you look up at the sky, you will begin to see light appear, okay? And you will think to yourself, oh, the, the sun's coming up. No, it isn't. What is it? It's the morning star. And the morning star illuminates, and you would think the sun was coming, right? But it isn't. But what that is, Peter's talking about it here, what that is, is you know that the sun is coming. When the morning star rises, you know the sun is just over the horizon, and Peter here refers to the morning star as what? 
revelation of the Word of God. The morning star he's referring to will be the revelation of Israel, the revelation of what's happening in the end times. Your eyes will be opened and you will see and you will understand in the last days. That's the morning star. And when you begin, listen folks, as we did those five weeks on Israel, I trust, forgive me if I'm wrong, but I think a lot of you saw things you've never seen before. Am I right? That's the morning star. That's what Peter's talking about. When the morning star rises in your hearts and you begin to see with prophetic eyes and you begin to understand, you can know that the sun is coming. You can know that these are definitely the end times. Do you get it? Do you understand? And so when the scriptures, because these things have been hidden for generations upon generations. I'll show you in a moment, actually. You can turn to it. Jeremiah, look at this. Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 24. The whole chapter actually is an end times prophecy. But look how Jeremiah finishes it. Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 24. Look how he closes this chapter after talking about what will happen in the last days. The fierce anger of the Lord will not turn back until he fully accomplishes the purposes of his heart. In days to come, you will understand this. And can you imagine Jeremiah the prophet writing what's going to happen in the last days, which he just did, telling end times prophecies, writing them down, and then as a little addendum, he says, <coughs> oh, but by the way, my generation will not understand this. In days to come, these things will become known. In days to come, the morning star of revelation, if you like, will rise in our hearts. And I cannot emphasize enough, folks, as you start to hear, and I hope you do, I counsel you and I warn you, uh, forgive me for saying this, but I am not unaccustomed to the Word of God. I hear regularly because I know how to. I know how to. You've got to put into practice what you hear. You don't put into practice what you hear, guess what? You're not going to hear. You may be sitting here this morning, and if you're disobedient to carry through the Word of God, my Word bounces off your head, you see. That's not me. That's because of disobedience, and God closes up our ears. They shall be ever hearing, but never perceiving, ever seeing. It's based on obedience. You must obey, must put it into practice. Every year I go twice to Romania. It's one of the most difficult churches I have to minister in because I find it extremely demanding over there. We do typically four days of ministry twice every year, and it's just, it's just hard. I love them. They're great. They're really good people. But uh, they're a tough bunch. You know, the Russians, Romanians, Eastern Europe, it's like preaching to a bunch of mafia hitmen, you know? Not a lot of smiles, just uh, sitting there, you know? And it's hard work. It's hard going. Very good people. They actually follow us online, so they know exactly what we're doing. But I felt to do it anyway, to go back over the whole Santa thing, you know? So I did a presentation when I was there. And on the front row, I've got Daniel, Pastor Daniel's two sons. These are big lads. I know them very well. Very little smiling there. Sit and look at you. And as I started going through the story of Christmas, I was just walking past, and I just, oh, Alex has got a tear. Big Alex, big Alex, and then another tear. 
As I'm walking up, Andre starts to cry. I thought, Waha. Hello, the morning star, right? Revelation, penetration, rising in the hearts of these young men. And at the end of that meeting, they came up and they stood beside me and they said, We're in charge of worship. We lead the worship. That's what we do. And we didn't know. We didn't know that this was detracting from the worship of our God. Oh, I see. And so you're brokenhearted. For years, we have been leading the people astray with what we've done. And thank you. I was so moved by that. So pleased to see the genuine response of young men out there to, to, to find purity in worship and spirit and in truth. You can say amen there. Isn't it great? So let's be of the same spirit. People who are keen to change. People in, in every way, not just our practices, but our attitudes and our ways. Prior to the Santa stuff and the Christmas stuff, we did a message which I want to just reshape today. It was called Rich, Famous, and Happy. Do you remember? Do you remember? The Jews. Remember the prodigal son, right? Why did he leave home? Because he wanted to be rich, famous, and happy. He felt that the confines that the structure of the home put upon him, he could do better. He'd be happy just getting out of town, right? And that is a, a, a test case, if you like, a typical reaction and something we need to, 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 to study at great length. Everything that happened to Jews is also, if you like, the Old Testament and the people of Israel, when you look at their life and their history, it's a picture but what we see today is the reality, okay? And if you, with prophetic eyes, watch the news and you know what you're looking for, you will see it in Old Testament and you will see it today. I'll give you an example. Rich, famous, and happy. Did the Jews become rich? Oh, yeah. So rich. We looked at the stock exchange. Remember, the, the, the treasury and we, I showed you the slide with the, with the Federal Reserve, which is a private bank. It's not, a, it's not controlled by the government. It's actually controlled by Jews. Okay? So they became very rich. Uh, uh, but my, my point is this. All of these things are in Scripture. Um, here you go. Listen. Israel and Judah, right? God divorced Israel, right? And Israel was scattered out to the nations. Correct? Uh, what happened to them? Stock Exchange, the Federal Reserve, they ended up very wealthy. And the Jews have used this wealth to bless Israel. Okay? So for hundreds of years, they've been plowing finances back into Israel from the, the sun that was cast out. Now, you see the picture form of that? So here's the reality, the picture form, Joseph. Joseph is another term for Israel, by the way, not just Jacob, but Joseph. Here's the brothers. One brother gets thrown out. Who was that? Joseph. What happened to him? Very wealthy. What did he use the wealth to do? Save his brothers. Save his brothers. And these things are prophetic. They're picture form. God telling you what's going to happen to Israel, telling us, giving us an explanation of the world in which you live, in the days which you live. It's actually in your Bible. Bible's more up-to-date, as they say, than tomorrow's newspaper. It truly is. So, they wanted to be rich, 
famous and happy. We saw how they pursued money. We saw how they pursued fame and how Hollywood and that whole thing of Hollywood uh, and everything that goes with it is motivated, instigated, and the backbone of it uh, are, the, are the juice. And how prodigal son, typically they pursued pleasure. What I want to do today is, is kind of flip that. By understanding that the Jews pursued rich, uh, riches, fame, and happiness, we can pray for them. Please do. Okay? Pray for the Jews not to be deceived by riches. Hello. Pray for the Jews not to pursue fame. And pray for them to realize that they will never find happiness in this life apart from turning to Jesus Christ. Pray for them. But that's not my point this morning at all. My point is you. And I want to turn my focus because remember, everything that happened to Israel can also happen to you. And if the Jews pursued to be rich, famous, and happy, guess who else can? And you are very foolish if you think you're not susceptible to that. Because I believe this is the big picture. This is the picture, of, it's, a, it's a picture of me. And I accept that. I don't reject it. I accept that God gives me a picture in the Jews that can help me deal with the, with the roots of sin that exist in my life. 2 Timothy. Take a look at this. 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 1. 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 1. Could I have a drink of water from somewhere? Thanks, guys. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. Look at this. But mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. Any other of your versions? What's the word used there? Terrible? Perilous? Perilous? Any other words? Difficult? That's putting it lightly, isn't it? <laughs> Get a new Bible, Chris. <laughs> Difficult, terrible, perilous. Okay? But mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money. Uh-oh. Just like the Jews, huh? Boastful. Uh-oh. Fame. Proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiven, slanderous, gossipers, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. Kind of scary because everybody look up. If I said to you that the end times are going to be perilous, dangerous, what comes into your mind? Do you know what comes into my mind? Al-Qaeda, war, Israel, the Palestinians, bombs. Correct? That's not the point. That's not Paul's point. He says to us, but mark this, mark my words, in the last days there's going to be terrible times. He doesn't mention war. Doesn't talk about bombs. He talks about your behavior. He says that in this house, among us, the behavior of some in the last days will be treacherous, so dangerous, so bad, I'm warning you to be ready for it. Let me briefly go through these three things. I hope you get the point. Rich, fame, and, ha and happiness were the things the prodigal son sought. They were the things that Israel sought, and they are the things that you will seek. That's my belief. Now, let me work through them one at a time. I won't spend time on finance because we've done so much of it. 
But riches. Do we seek riches? My mother died last year, and it was a great funeral. My brother, John, got up to give a testimony about her life, and it was an excellent testimony. He, he made this point, just one point. He said, you could never outgive our mother. If you wanted to do something nice for her birthday, and you brought her like a hundred-pound present, she would find a way. <laughs> she would find a way to bless you back like double. And you think, oh, okay, next year I'll do this. No, she will figure out a way to bless you back. A little bit of God there. Little t Scripture says that God is no man's debtor. God is no man's debtor. And I'm just saying, with regards to finance, you never have to be in fear of finance because when you give, and you give for the right motive, and you give with good heart, God sees that, and do you think he's going to be indebted to you? No. It will never, ever happen. It is not going to happen. Do you understand me? So any, any chasing after riches in a worldly sense is supreme folly. And it is a misunderstanding, a miscomprehension of the nature of God. That's what it is. It's foolishness at the highest level. But Scripture, you know, we as pastors go into people's homes all the time and you deal with problems. You go into a house and maybe the couple are getting divorced, you know. And it's like a tree. A tree has got roots and a tree has got fruits. And you go into the couple and the couple present you with the fruit, the problem. We're getting divorced. Well, what's the problem? Well, we, we, get, we can't stand living with each other. And you poke and you prod and after a while... Maybe the woman spits it out. He doesn't give me enough money. Ha! Ah, the, the root. And Scripture says the love of money is the root. And there are many problems in Christian lives. Everybody listen. There are many problems that manifest themselves as fruit in Christian lives. But many, many times the root is not... What's manifesting? The root is actually the love of money. God's ambition for you is that your finances would be faith-based finances. That everything about your finances would be committed into faith, not just your smarts, not just your income. It's a faith-based financial walk he's seeking and asking us for. Anyway, we're not going to deal with that today, but just to mention, you don't need to sweat about that but realize that God will not be indebted to you. You give and you will watch him work in your life. Amen. What about the second one? The Jews, the prodigal son, pursuing fame. And you can say to me, and I'm sure many of you would, you will say, well, I don't want fame. Okay. You sure? <laughs> Man, the Jews went for fame, didn't they? Look at Hollywood. The Oscars, right? Yeah, yeah, I mean, not, not, not just the Oscars. There's the Oscars, the Tonys, the Golden Globes, the BAFTAs. The, it goes on and on and on. One's not enough, right? Years ago, many years ago, we were in the synagogue in Dublin. It was my first time in a synagogue. And I was very interested, you know. You sit down there in the seat, and I was very watching everything that's going on. And the guy who was doing the announcements, or whoever he was, I don't know, he came up, and he said, we have some guests with us. Not us. We have some guests with us. This morning, he said, here we have Mr. and Mrs. Bernstein or whatever, you know. And off he started, he said, Mr. and Mrs. Bernstein have got four children. 
The eldest one got four A's in her A-levels, O-levels, and she is going to pursue a career in accountancy. The second is a, is, a, is a boy, and he's currently at college. He left with distinctions and will be pursuing to be a doctor. The third, all very interesting. And then the next guest we hear is Mr. Goldberg. He has two children. One of them is currently studying at such... I think, well, this is all very interesting. Is this what you come to synagogue for? Very interesting. What do you want to read out all my qualifications for? What's all this about? But you know, the Jews sitting in that synagogue, they were listening every... B, B, A, C, D, listening to every word. I thought, look at these guys. You want to be famous for something, is it? Is that what the problem is? Do you want to be known for your accomplishments? Is that what the problem is? You see, the Jews specialized in acting. They specialized finance and acting. Do you know what the irony of an actor is? Do you know what an actor is? Somebody who's famous for something that they're not. Somebody who wants to be famous for something that they're not. That's called vanity, by the way. I remember, do you remember uh, Gladiator? Remember the film Gladiator with Russell Crowe? Do you? You nod your head like that. It'll just make me feel better. Do you remember the film Gladiator? Oh, you all do. Great. There's a guy called Russell Crowe in that film, and he was a real hero. And if you watch that film, I think you would agree. Didn't you think he was a hero? Yes. Everybody say yes again. Go on, practice it. Yeah. If the person in front of you doesn't, just, just slap the back of their head and tell them to nod their head. Russell Crowe was a real hero in that film. Now, I remember watching a documentary, not about the, the stars in the film, but about the crew behind the scenes, the caterers, the cleaners. And they were going through the crew, and they're all sitting around, and they were saying, well, tell us about your experience in making this epic film. You know, how was Jacqueline Phoenix, for example? He played the emperor. And they said, oh, you know, Jacqueline's a real nice guy. He treated us very well, treated us with respect. And they went through some of the cast, and then they said, and tell us, how was Russell Crowe? Well, ooh, I tell you what, you should have heard them. It wasn't good. They said, he treated us like trash. We're nothing to that man. We are nothing. Human beings, nothing. I thought, scathing of him. My point is, around the world at that time, Russell Crowe was a hero. He was famous for something he was not. And that's called vanity. And yet Solomon says, behold, all, all is vanity. Behold the pursuit of a man's heart, the pursuit of his life. Behold, all is vanity. And I think Solomon is right. Because we do, whether we're aware of it or not, pursue to be known, fame, often for the things that we are not. Not maybe for the things that we are. That's the problem. Therein lies the problem. Another example, I won't use the name, but there was a famous television evangelist. And this was just like an... I don't know what it was. Somebody was talking about it, but they were behind the scenes before the TV program was due to start. And this evangelist was lambasting his staff. Shut up! Get out! Do this! Shut up! Do that! 
and the, you know, the, the guy with the TV cameras, 10, 9, 8, 7, and the TV evangelist, shut up, get up, go on. And 3, 2, 1, he comes to the, hallelujah. Can't you just feel the presence and the peace of God? Boom. Just like that. And the person, the staff member, just couldn't take it. I'm out of here. And they told the story. That's somebody who's famous for something they are not. And this is vanity. And this is what the, the, the Jews pursued. You see, God is a great healer, but you must let Him heal your brokenness and not try to fill up what lacks in you by being famous for something you're not. Now, let me tell you a secret about me. <laughs> when I got saved, I don't know if I told you this before, but when I got saved, I had a very low self-esteem, a very low opinion of myself. I felt that I was a broken pastor, a, a failure. And I loved the acclaim of men. I sought the approval of people because I needed it. I needed a title. I, need, I craved a position. And for, for about four or five years, I loved it when people would uh, applaud me or clap me or, or, or slap me on the back because I was fractured inside. Now, all the time in those years, I was not prolific. I was not fruitful and not very prophetic because I was, God struggles to use me because of my nature, because of the way I was. I sought vanity for something that I actually wasn't at that time, right? Now, what happened to me was I met someone. I, you say, well, what, did God heal you? Did God change you? Yeah, He did. I met this one day, I met this girl. <whistles> this one here, Jeanette. And she was the first person I had ever met who didn't give a monkey's what anybody thought. I mean, really didn't give a monkey's. Not just say it. She absolutely didn't need your applause. She didn't need your approval. She didn't need a thing. And I was in wonder at that. So much so, I married her. And I like the Remington guy. I liked it so much, I bought the company, right? <laughs> I married her because there's a promise in Scripture. The two, Chris, sing ye, the two shall become one. And the attributes and the qualities within her, I, they were what was missing in me. And not immediately, because it didn't happen immediately, but almost like osmosis, you know. Slowly but surely, I began to lose my need for people and for their approval, for titles, for position, for recognition. It began to fall away. And to the same measure that it fell away, the hand of God came into me and began to use me. And I, as I looked back, I thought, man, vanity, vanity, all is truly vanity. I was seeking that for myself. You see, some of you, many of you will be just like me. Most of you will be just like me. There's a few exceptions, correct, Jeanette? But not many. The problem I had, if I can explain it, this is my soul, okay? This is your soul. For those of you listening online, I'm holding up a big bucket with soul written on it. Now, the problem I had 
was because I needed the approval of men, when I got it, when I got recognition for what I wanted to be, it made me feel great. So let's say this is rich fame and happiness, right? I want to be somebody. I want to exist. I want to be recognized. I want affirmation. When it came, I felt great. Everybody look. In came the praise. Hallelujah. I felt great for a day. I felt fantastic. And then I, do you know what I need? I need more. I need more. Come on, clap. Stop. You know your soul? Your soul is like a barren woman, the Bible would put it. Insatiable. Totally insatiable. You will never, ever, ever satisfy this kid. Do you understand me? All the praise, all the qualifications. You become a doctor, now you want to become a registrar, now you want to become... It won't work, friend. It's always over the rainbow. It's always another slap on the back. It won't work because your soul is a broken vessel. Do you understand? You're flawed. You're fundamentally flawed. You know what the Apostle Paul says? He talks about a treasure that we have within. What's the treasure? The Spirit. And Paul says this, Don't you know that you have this treasure in a broken vessel? Don't you know that you have this great treasure of who you really are, but it's in a broken vessel? And some of you, like me, instead of what you did for me, Jeanette, is you introduced me to who I am. Not who I want to be, not who I want to be seen to be, not to be to vanity or vainglory, but you introduced me to who I am in my spirit. And as soon as you find the real you, it's fantastic. Do you know what, friends? Everybody listen. In the name of Jesus, Father, I pray that you put this word in their hearts. It is very difficult to be somebody you're not. It's hard work trying to be something you're not. Because every day you have to act. You may even get an Oscar. That's how good you might get at it. But it's still not the real you. And every day, like the Jews, that mask has to go on. That pretense has to happen. But every now and again, the mask falls. And we know who you are. And you know who you are. And what you did, Jeanette, and I thank God for it, you made me aware that it's all right to be me. And at a certain point in my life, my ministry more particularly, the striving stopped. And it was over. And I was able to live out of my spirit without the need for any approval. And that's why I preach the way I do, because I don't care what you think. You understand? I don't need your approval at all. Not at all. I'm not an appeaser of men. Not for a very, 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 very long time. And forgive me for sharing this. I hope you are big enough in spirit to take it the way I mean it. I was in an event once, and it was a very good event. I was up on the platform, and I did my stuff, and there was a lot of people there, and they were on their seats, and the place was rocking. It was absolutely awesome. And it, I sat down on the platform at the end of the meeting, and everybody was, Yeah, oh, yes! 
And the pastor came up, he took the mic, and he said, you know, this is one of the best ministries we've ever had in this church. Let's give this guy a round of applause, you know. So the whole place just went bananas. And I sat there. And at the end of that meeting, a pastor in the crowd came up to me and he said, come here, come here. He said, I was watching you. I was watching you. When they were all clapping, I was watching you. It didn't affect you, did it? You weren't bothered by it, were you? I said, no. And he said, I can't do that. I want to be able to do that. But I'm frightened of it. I'm frightened that if that was me up there, I'm frightened that I would take the glory. I'm frightened that I would become, you know, vain was what he was saying. Help me. Help me be like that. That's what I should be like. How do you divorce yourself from the ministry like that? And I just explained to him my road. Brother, you're the same as all of us. We're all in the same boat. It's just there's easy way and a hard way to go about it, everything in life. The, the, the easy way is to have to fill this thing up every day and to have to run around from pillar to post to find people to affirm me for something I'm not and never will be. Waste of time, correct, Ben? <laughs> An absolute waste of time. The easy way, Jesus said, my yoke is actually easy. My burden is light. I wouldn't want to have to get up today and try to be somebody else. And when I accept who I am and what I am, then suddenly I've, I can deal with the finance thing by giving. But I can only deal with the fame thing by accepting who I am. That's the problem. And many people seek no problem with qualifications. Seek all the qualifications you want. No, no, no sweat with that. That's not what I'm saying. It's the motive behind it I'm getting at. We have students come through in Strathclyde every year. And every year, I, when I share with them, I share the same thing because we hear the same thing. They come in saying, oh, when I get my qualification, bah, it's going to be great, and I'm going to do this. And you know what? When you get your qualification, you're going to need a job. When you get your job, you're going to seek promotion. When you get promotion, you'll be fed up with your job. You're probably going to get married. When you get married, you're going to have kids. What about the grandkids? What about the house? Need a bigger house. It's always over the horizon. And, and don't be fooled, because that's what this soul is. Don't be fooled to go on this road. This is the road the prodigal son took. And he had to come back. He had to come back saying, Father, this is who I am. Father, I know who I am now, and I want to face up to that, and I want to live out of that. Rich, you don't need it. Fame, let me get personal, for example. Maybe you're famous in this church for being a great worshiper. Maybe you're on the worship team, for example, and you stand here and you worship. Are you a worshiper? Are you a worshiper at all? Or are you seeking vain glory? Is this you or is this, an, an, is this, is this acting? Maybe you're famous because every Friday night you pray so well. Do you pray really? Or is that vain glory? Is that something that you're not? Is that an act? And we can think, well, the Jews are the Jews. No, friend, God knows you better than you know yourself. He knows you through and through. He knows the motives of your heart. 
And he sees through all the pretense and all the acting, and he's still after the real you. Not to harm you, but to make this yoke easy and this burden light. So I ask you, what are you known for? What are you famous for? Is it you, or is it all a pretense? Because that's a horrible, awful, terrible way to live. Live out of the Spirit. Remember, I've shown you this many times. It's no less pertinent today than it has been at any time before. Remember the three ways in which you can live. You're a tripartite being. And you can live with the body at number one. Some people are controlled by their lusts, by their physical fleshly lusts. Your body, soul, and spirit. But the body shouldn't be number one. Amen. But for many people, the body is number one. And their body dictates their life. Body number one, the soul can be a, a, a poor second, and the spirit is in subjection underfoot. With other people, they do maybe what you could call a little bit better than that, and for them, maybe it's soul first. But the body's still there. These ways of living are miserable. Because with the soul, as my boss, am I going to be happy? Never, never, because you're going to have to act, you're going to have to put on a pretext. It's not real, it's not you. And the only prescription the Bible gives, this is why we're born again, our spirit comes alive, is to be spiritually born again, and then the big step, and this is the big step, we accept it. I accept who I am, I accept what I am, and I subdue my soul with all its vainglory seeking. I subdue that part of me. I put it down like David did. Silence! And I keep the body, obviously, in subjection. But it, we can call ourselves spirit-filled, spirit-led Christians. Well, that will be seen really most clearly to the extent to which we seek to be famous for things we are not. Okay? This is the warning that Paul gives in 2 Timothy. Watch it, because in the last days, among us, there will be people, some of us, who will behave treacherously, dangerously. I guess the change that, that took place within me through you, Jeanette, was, was very similar. I have an apple tree. I have an apple tree in my back garden. In fact, there's two. There's a massive one overhangs my garden from my neighbor's house and I got a little one in the garden. And when we moved in the first year, I went up to get the apples. And to my shock, they were full of wasps. The wasps had eaten and got inside the apples, you know. I thought, well, they won't do that again. I get a net, you know, a tight net, a green mesh net, and put it over the tree at the beginning of the year. Problem solved, I thought. Guess what? Birds! The birds don't care about the mesh. The birds land on the mesh, and the birds pick through the mesh. I thought, um, 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 bigger net, bigger net. Keep the birds out. But you know, even though I kept the birds out, and even though I kept the wasps out, guess what happened to the apples? They still rotted. Yeah, because its corruption is inside the apple. It's not the wasps. It's not the birds. It's the apple. Inside this apple, 
brand new organic apple. Yet inside this lies the ready-made mix for complete decay and corruption. And it is foolish to think of it any other way. And that's what I'm like, and that's what this list, this terrible list, lovers of themselves, boasters, blasphemers, unthankful, unloving, slanderers, brutal, that's what this list represents. And I could say to you, which one of these sins do you see in you? And you could tell me one, two, but I tell you they're all in you, my friend. They are all in you. If I leave this apple here, it will disintegrate and decay, and in a very short time, there'll be nothing left. And you don't have to do a single thing. And the way Christians, I've put at the bottom of your notes, the way Christians behave or try to solve that is by putting it in the fridge, if you like. Tell me, if I put this apple in the fridge, will it stop the decay? No. It will delay the decay. But if you come to our fridge, you'd see uh, it'll, it'll, it'll go bad in the end, right? It will only delay the decay. And some Christians take that route where everything is about the preservation of their own lives. It's a fridge-type Christian or a fridge-type church. Some churches are like that. Pretty cold in here. You know, it's all about just preserving who I am without the change. You understand? You don't want to be a fridge-type Christian. We want to be a fire-type Christian. And the fire comes from the Spirit. When I invite the Spirit and I ask the Spirit and the light of God to reveal everything and anything that's wrong inside of me, the only way for me to achieve this or to do this life in the Spirit, shall we call it, I'm sorry, folks. I wish I could say we're going to have an altar call now and you can come and we'll pray over you. I can't, because it doesn't work like that. Sorry. Some things in life you can get prayed for, and, they'll, and it's fine, no problem. But some things don't work like that. Some things you've got to do. And Jesus Christ was very clear about this. Everybody full attention. Listen. He said the only way for you to actually get rid of this soulish vainglory-type problems and riches and all that, the only way is for you to take up your cross. Your cross is you. You are the cross. Take up your cross, and you need to carry it daily, living out of your spirit. You need to be aware of everything you want, everything you are, and you need to be, be willing to lay that down in Jesus' name. But that old man, sorry, this is why deliverance doesn't work. I can't drive you out of you. You're going to carry this to the, to, to the grave, my friend. That's how it works. Sorry. Sorry. Paul says the corruption is still in me. Still in me. All his life. He knew that. That's why he was powerful, right? He knew that. He knew he had to subdue. Paul said, I die daily. Not I die 10 years ago. I die daily. I know my flesh. I know the desires of the flesh. And yes, I have to carry my cross and live out of the Spirit. When I know everything I seek to be for vanity's sake, what do you seek, friend? What is your vainglory? What do you want to be famous for that you're not? Put it down. And get your spirit this morning. Pick up your cross. Your real cross. 
and start to follow Jesus Christ. And you, in my opinion, you will not have to wait two ticks and He will be right in your life because you're not waiting for God. He's waiting for you. Waiting for you to accept who you are and to pick up that cross, which is actually easy. And my burden is light. So don't seek the applause of people. Don't seek riches. The Bible says don't. But seek to be the person, the brilliant, awesome person that God has made you to be. And you say this is enough. This is good. It is good to be myself, if you like. It is good to be you. Let me invite the worship team back. Father, I pray for us as a church that you would bring us to a place of maturity. And Holy Ghost, we know that you are burgeoning over this building, wanting to get into our lives to use us powerfully around the world. And I pray that you will help us deal with our own stupidities and immaturities, with the lusts of the flesh, the desires for riches and wealth. Lord, the desires for the approval of men to make up for the weaknesses and the flaws within us. Forgive us for these playground ways, these immature ways. And Father, this morning, we accept ourselves as you have made us. I just give you a second to make your peace with God and to lay down vanity and to thank God for what he's made you to be, whatever that is. God, I accept myself. And when I leave this place, I accept that I have to carry my own cross, which is all my ambitions and wayward ways. And God, this morning we also pray for Steve Chalk. I pray you would bless him and open his eyes that he would see the error of his ways. And we rebuke any demonic interference in his life. Father, set him free. He's been a good, you know, stalwart for our church in the UK for so many decades. And I pray you would remember that and have mercy on him this morning and turn him back from this wrong road. I'm just going to give you a moment to connect with God and to connect with your spirit and to find yourself.